once I had a business going, I started drinking a lot with guys in my business that were like mm. 30 years older than me and hanging out with them. And then at one point I had surgery and they gave me Oxycontin and it was oh. just lights out. From that oh. point on, it was just, um, it's funny. I never thought I'd be a drug addict because I never even did a drug in high school or college. Right. I'm sure in college, maybe I tried something, but I wasn't like really into that stuff. I was kind of a geeky kid. But the second I had that script for opioids, I remember being like, this is, I just, and I remember thinking a lot of people, I knew guys that would sell drugs and guys would have to give them a Rolex for one pill because it was so dope sick. And I used to think they were so weak. And then next thing I knew, you know, I, I never thought I'd get hooked. I just thought I was too old. I would have got hooked by now. <laughs> I would have been an alcoholic, right? And next thing I knew it was lights out and it was never the same. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast for those who look to be inspired by individuals who have turned their lives around, be it from the depths of addiction, trauma, physical and mental health issues, and found a way to live a purposeful life. Because that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. And if you have yet to subscribe to the channel, please hit that subscribe button. Set the bell to get alerts for all the content that's published here on the channel. And while you're at it, please leave a thumb up and a comment on what you got out of this conversation. And if you're getting value out of knocking doors down, please do me a favor, share with someone else. And I'm excited for this episode, as I am all of them. I am speaking with an awesome gentleman, Ryan Skinner of Cracking the Code. Cracking the Code is all about helping individuals find financial prosperity. Through Ryan's addiction recovery, he's explored his passion of helping others who have struggled with depression, anxiety, and addiction prosper in life. Ryan and I discuss doing for others and wanting nothing in return, and that is the gift. Why it's so important when you prosper, especially financially, that it, you have to give back to help others. Also, why does Ryan find complete fulfillment and purpose in lighting the path for others so that the world can be a better place? And we discuss, much like gravity, spiritual principles apply to everyone. We converse about all that and so much more on this episode of Knocking Doors Down. Welcoming to Knocking Doors Down, Ryan Skinner from Cracking the Code. How you doing, good sir? How you doing, my friend? <laughs> I'm well. Other than as a, as our recording, we're both uh, struggling with the sniffles here, so I didn't don't oh feel so bad. <laughs> I forced uh, myself to go to work every day. That's right. Hey, you know, and we're going to get into that because it, it is, it's a, um, a gentleman that's a mentor of mine, Mike Diamond. He always says, and this is stuck with me, uh, successful people do the work no matter how they feel. Unsuccessful people do the work when they feel like it. It's true. That's true. I mean, it's well put too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, you've hit a few episodes. You know my MO, gratitude, three things you're grateful for today. That's where we're, we're starting. Uh, Rob connected us, my daughter. And I was able to be there. I had clients just come in whose son died of an overdose, and I was able to be there for him. And uh, and literally, they just came in at twelve thirty. I thought they were come, forgot they were coming in, and so came in at nine thirty your time. And and I saw them, and I just talked to the lady, and she's like, "I just, you know, I want to come and see. We don't have to go over our finances. I just need to see you." And um, and I was just grateful I could be there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and the Rob you're referring to, Doctor Rob Kelly, good dude, and um. Yeah, that that. Let me ask you about that because you're just over twelve years clean at this point. Yeah, originally I got sober about twelve years ago. I had a setback a while back, and I was lucky mm -hmm. enough. Um, and then I ended up meeting Rob like early on, and he just he was just a game changer. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, let me ask you about that, that being of service to other people. I mean, we, I don't know. I never saw myself being the guy that people were going to call after, sadly, unfortunately, as you losing someone or, hey, man, I'm struggling and I'm the person you're reaching out to. It's still a little bit odd to me, even, <laughs> you know, with long-term sobriety. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's the gifts, I think, is when somebody once said to me, what you can do for other people that don't benefit you. You know, when there's nothing to come back to you, what can you do? What do you do for other people? And, and I'll be honest, when she showed up there, I was kind of, I got a stomachache because, you know, here's this lady, she's a client, she's a nice client, but I'm nervous. I hadn't seen her since her son overdosed last two weeks ago. And, and then I thought to myself, you know what? I remember my mother crying. Somebody called when I was in jail to listen to my mother cry. And I just sat down with her, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard, but but we develop the tools, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you, that's what it's all about. And being recovery is all about service. And you learn really early on that until you have service to other people, you're not going to feel the benefits. I mean, that's when you start feeling, you know, they talk about the nine-step promise and stuff like that. The good stuff comes when you start being a service to other people because you see the lights come on in their eyes. And it's easy when you're trying to sponsor somebody and you see the lights come on because that's a gift, right? You help right. pull somebody from the gates of hell. But when you're walking into somebody who's sitting in hell and you have to be there, um, you know, I mean, I got called a month and a half ago. My buddy works for a funeral home. He's like, these parents, uh, the husband, the boyfriend and girlfriend jumped in front of a train because they couldn't do it anymore. The parents are in so much pain. Can you come down and talk to them? I'm like, what do you want me to say? And then, and I just showed up right. and, uh, and it worked itself out. And, and there are other times where I won't know what to say, but I'll know who to bring. And, you know, that's the gift too. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, talking about uh, Doctor Doctor Rob, and we're talking about other people that we know through this recovery thing, and that it really is like I think when you work it, if you're someone that really does, that you just find so many connections to people that I, I don't know. It's just mysterious, man. I always say this, and I can't really explain it. I don't know a whole lot about how DNA all falls in, but if you, have, you see the DNA pictures, how the strands are tied together. Yeah. I believe there's some sort of strand called the universe, God, whatever it is, that people get on the same frequency and people cross your path and you're supposed to be a service to them. And it doesn't make sense. Half the people I'm friends with, it doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I know guys that sit down, people come in, half my clients. I mean, I have 15 clients that are cops that have arrested me at one point or another. I mean, none of it makes sense, but. It's this sort of like serendipitous flow to life that just in the end kind of makes sense, I think. I hope. Yeah. Well, and that's the trip of it, too, is, is uh, you know, been arrested and now doing stuff, working with like the local sheriff's department and yeah. things like that. I mean, did this present an opportunity, too, for you to maybe make amends to people that you wanted to, but you didn't know how? Like you just didn't have access to them or, I mean... We could I've been able so to make, I mean, some of the stuff you make living amends, obviously you serve people gone and you do it by changing your attitude. And if that situation comes, you do different things. Um, it's funny. One of my cops that a client, he's now the chief and he gave me the ability to go back and make an amends to another cop that had done something, you know, wrong to. And I'll tell you, it was, it was pretty freeing because the guy was like, I didn't realize it would matter to him. And he's like, yeah. it does matter to me. He goes, only because you're friends with the chief, you're friends with this guy. You walk around this place like you own the joint. And yet you got away with an A and B on me. And, you know, and we had this bad altercation and now you apologize. And now I don't want to avoid you when you're in here. And I was like, wow, like I had no idea this guy felt uncomfortable at his own job. I actually was hoping to bump into him there. So I could have done it on my own, but he was avoiding me, you know, and it's, you just don't know how things flow. Yeah. Well, and I found too, that 
Did you ever have any situations like this? I, I, I've, I've made some really good amends with people and they're like, yeah, all right, man. And they're like, well, I just, I just had to get that off my chest. Like we were cool all along. There's, there's no issue. Like, are, are you sure? And they're like, well, thanks. I know it matters to you and I'm glad that I could be here. So sometimes it's, it's even the unload that we need for ourselves too, that maybe that other person, it doesn't matter. Oh yeah. I mean, I have a cousin who's my age. We grew up in the same house and he's a state trooper and I'm, you know, me. And I, and I remember making him this to me. He's like, yeah, man. And I was like, well, I didn't show up at your wedding. I didn't respond. He's like, yeah, no, it's all good. I feel you're going through something. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, and he's like, right, honestly, we're good. And, um, I have one that's funny. I made this immense to this guy. I said, listen, you know, I'm really sorry, but that doesn't cut it. Sorry doesn't want to come down to what I would do. If I could do it over, I would do it differently. You deserve better than what I gave you. If there's anything I can do to make it right, let me know. He goes, man, I just want to see you dead. <laughs> I was like, man, that was the only bad one I ever had. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the other reality we get is uh, um, I was talking is Brandon Novak dropped me this on me. He, he was saying, uh, um, um, it what the what other people end up thinking about me how do you say it? so much more eloquent than is coming out for me we both have head colds for the listener and watcher we're struggling through this here um like at the end of the day what the other people think about you is none of your fucking business like i've heard that a million times and i've come to accept that um if people don't like me i don't really give a yeah if it affects my business i get worried Sure. Even my ability to provide for my child is, you know, we talked about, but other than that, people's opinion of me, I can roll off just because I've had, I've had to get there. I've had so many people that their opinion owned me when I was in early recovery. And, and it was so much a part of my identity. And my sponsor said, just like that, he goes, it's none of your business. He goes, they don't like you kids. He goes, they do like you. Don't let them inflate your ego. Who cares? Yeah. Like, it's one in the same really, isn't it? Yeah, it, it should be, but it's not that easy. <laughs> no, you know it's mean? not. Well, because we have the people that, that we love and we want them to, you know, love to be reciprocated in, in the friendship and camaraderie and things like that. And then we have other people that it's no matter what, it's not going to click. Like you said, you know, that double helix of DNA, there's just nothing's going to resonate. Yeah. And I think there's just some people that aren't supposed to be in your vortex of life. And I've, I've come to accept that. And I've come not to try to pull them in anymore. Whereas before I would try to make things okay. Yeah. Well, and I'm with you on the, as far as affecting businesses, you know, I've only situations I can think of in recent history where I've maybe contacted someone that, that it felt like the, the loop was closed, so to speak. Like, you know, you're not in my life anymore and I'm not in yours and it's for good reason, um, has been connected to that. Like, look, I don't talk about you in any regards, not one way or the other. Please understand that when you go out there and you talk shit or whatever, like my reputation here is I help people in this community. And yeah. you you by saying things that are personal to you and blanking putting a blanket statement about me and the the service work I'm doing, it screws with the opportunity to maybe help someone that it could be saving their life. Yeah, I have a friend of mine who was a, a, a recovery coach down in Florida, and he just moved back here. And his ex-wife would go around telling people he's still drinking and stuff. And I mean, he was clearly not drinking. This guy, when he drank, you knew. Um, but she just wanted to take every chance she could to take a shot at him, you know? And and it really it hurt his business, you know? Yeah, it's shitty to do. Let yeah, me ask you. Let me ask you about little Ryan, because it's always uh, intriguing to me how we get to where we did. 
You mentioned uh, living with a cousin growing up. I mean, what was what was childhood like? Uh, what were you like growing up? I was such a shy, insecure geek. You know, it's funny. Uh, recently, a buddy of mine ran into some girls that I worked at a bar with in college, and they said, "Yeah." He asked, "He's like, what was Ryan like?" Because he didn't know me back then, and he thought they were going to say he was a lunatic. He was this. They're like, he was, he was a cute kid, nice kid. He was so shy though and geeky, he couldn't even talk to girls. And I was like twenty, and it was true. And they were also talking about somebody else that worked with at the same bar, and they were like, "Oh yeah," and they had a million bad stories about that individual. They had nothing bad to say, but the truth is, I was just a shy, geeky kid. I mean, in high school, I went to dances only when girls asked me. Like, you know, I was just, I was, I hate. And I don't know what happened in my twenties. I think I just looked at it like the law of numbers. Like, who cares? It doesn't matter. And I, I stopped caring. Yeah. But man, when I was a kid, I was just, I was afraid of my, I had anxiety. I was just afraid of my own shadow. Yeah. Well, did did. For me, it was home life that that did that. I grew up in the home of of an addict, and there was a lot of. It wasn't. Cr- I mean, I hate to compare it. Like my my father wasn't wasn't violent. There was times of yelling and then being sweet, or um, just really moody, or the disappearing act, or things like that 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 felt less than loving, you know. But um, yeah, it's 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 just it's it's interesting how that can roll out for us into our adulthood because i even told myself as a teenager i didn't drink i didn't do drugs i was a guy if i went to a party i got the drunk people home um that i wasn't going to go down that path but when you saying like that 20 years old 21 it was like same thing there's just like a fuck it switch went off and uh you know like oh i have a couple drinks all of a sudden i'm a little more charming and then you know i talked to the hot girl and woke up in her apartment the next day yeah and and that's just it in high school i was a guy who held one beer the whole party in college i drank when i drank the thing i learned in college was when i drank i didn't know when i'd stop so if we went on a thursday night i didn't know if i'd be going to work friday so i didn't drink a whole ton and then um after college i was so focused on building my business and I was driven on financial security. I mean, I was so worried. I want to grow. I want to have a business. Once I had a business going, I started drinking a lot with guys in my business that were like mm. 30 years older than me and hanging out with them. And then at one point I had surgery and they gave me Oxycontin and it was oh. just locked out. And from that oh. point on, it was just, um, it's funny. I never thought I'd be a drug addict because I never even did a drug in high school or college. Right. I'm sure in college, maybe I tried something, but I wasn't like really into that stuff. I was kind of a geeky kid. But the second I had that script for opioids, I remember being like, this is, I just, and I remember thinking a lot of people, I knew guys that would sell drugs and guys would have to give them a Rolex for one pill because it was so dope sick. And I used to think they were so weak. And then next thing I knew, you know, I, I never thought I'd get hooked. I just thought I was too old. I would have got hooked by now. <laughs> I would have been an alcoholic, right? And next thing I knew it was lights out and it was never the same. Wow. And I've heard that so, so many times. Knocking Doors Down by Carlos Vieira. Now available wherever you get audiobooks. I wasn't done partying, and I didn't want the binge to end. I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done, and I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family, and my business. I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what I had left behind. Even though I was not yet going home, I wasn't sure I had enough resources to continue the binge. Click the link in the podcast description to find out more. I don't know about you. I mean, I've got, I have people that struggled with opioids and and even now they can 
have a drink here and there. Like I got a buddy, he'll have, he had a couple of drinks at his wedding and that's all he had that year. But when he had an injury and got prescribed opioids, it destroyed his life. And he ended up on the streets for a good six, seven years. Yeah. Opio, I mean, opioids take my, took my soul. I, you know, everyone says, you don't think you go out and have a drink safely. And my answer is I don't want to find out. It's I just don't want yeah. to find out. I just, you know, I, I get, not once kids come into play, it's no longer about you. You know, it's, it's about kids. You have yeah. kids. Yeah. Well, how long? So you got an injury, uh, got the opioids. How long was the run with that? It was weird because um, at first they would cut out tumors in my stomach. And then when those were done, they were like, oh, we're going to wean you off. And at that point, I'd save some money, you know, because I had my own business. I had a couple of houses, a couple of cars. And honestly, within a year or two after that, I had nothing. I remember going to jail and be like, this isn't that bad. That's the honest truth. I went to jail and I remember thinking, maybe this is where it stops. And then going to treatment after and then slowly rebuilding it. And um, it, it was hard. You know, it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the, I mean, we're, people need to wake up if you're not already to what the opioid crisis has led to. I mean, look at what we're going through with fentanyl and we're going to hit another high once the data comes out for 2023 of overdose death rates. It's now the number one killer in the world. And it all spawned out of the opioid crisis. Of course. Yeah, it's crazy. It's amazing to me that that they knew what they were putting out there. That's the crazy part. And, and it's so disheartening that because the Sacklers still have never really paid. People go, oh, they paid hundreds of millions of dollars. They're living comfortably somewhere in Europe with tons of that's money in the did. bank. And that's the thing I think of is, um, you know, I my somebody says to me, oh, you blame your doctor. It's a doctor's fault. I mean, nothing. Doctor really didn't know any more than I knew. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, maybe a little bit. Probably not, though. You know, I don't think doctors maliciously were giving out medicine to her people. I mean, there's obviously pill farms, but I look at it like that. That family, like, they literally went out there and know what they were cranking out. And and you know, the only good thing about it is, um, before that, at least where I lived, it was the inner city people that had heroin problems, and they were like, and you know, almost like they didn't matter. You know, mm -hmm. and I didn't come from money. My, my mom was a housekeeper. We, you know middle class at best but the reality was it was the it was the the people you know different races in in a city blah 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 so the only good thing is it, it shined a light on it and said hey it doesn't discriminate mm -hmm. like so long people looked away because it didn't hit that you know so i think that's probably the only positive is now it's being looked at yeah oh yeah i mean well you and i are I'm a little older than you, but yeah, I mean, we grew up with the kids as kids on the news and the crack epidemic, and they always showed a, a black guy in Detroit and the, the yeah. downtrodden area. And it was like, oh my goodness, this is just destroying, you know, our African-American communities and everything else. Like, no, <laughs> this shit is everywhere, destroying right. everyone. And hopefully that light has been more shed now. Yeah, it seems like you're know, out here, but I mean, then again, there's also a place out this area. It's the same as Skid Row. It's like you can't get out of the street because you get pulled out of your car. Robbed. It's, I mean, it's insane. Mm -hmm. So still a lot of work to do. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let me ask you about your, your recovery process then. Um, what was kind of when you when you went in? I mean, how were they winning you off? I don't think Suboxone was around then. I don't remember. It was around, but they weren't giving it to you jail. They they weaned you off. They put you in a cell and you twitched. I mean, it, oh, you know. <laughs> so you did it the very painful way. Yeah, you, you sit there. I went. I think it was like twenty six days without sleeping, and uh, I mean, I you know, like be droopy, but I wasn't sleeping, and uh, that was it. Was a run. It was a tough go, and then through the grace of God, it got easier. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I would have learned the lesson if it wasn't a hard lesson. Some people learn lessons easier. I'm just not that bright. I have to learn it the hard way. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good thing it's made everything else in life seem a lot easier since, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. If I can go through that, like, what is this? Yeah. This is nothing. Oh, shit. Howdy. Um, well, you mentioned your mom being a housekeeper. Does that mean dad wasn't present? No, my dad was, no, my parents were together. Um, okay. they both, you know, my mom cleaned houses during the day, offset at night. My dad always had two jobs. They would just work hard to give us a life. They had to work hard. They didn't have a lot of, you know, they weren't super well-educated people and stuff. So they just did what they had to do. Now, do, do you ever at any point through your recovery reflect back on, I, I know for me, I had to do a lot of childhood examination and really kind of understand where I come from. And you had said something about, about you know, that desperation or or desire with the, you know, being financially well off and and i can relate to that i st i still struggle with that to be honest like people like dude your workload's insane it's like i don't know how else to be i've got i've got two kids i got a beautiful lady in my life we got a car payments house payments uh just had to buy some new uh, appliances all this stuff it's like i don't know how else to be do you think like that seeing that in your parents the dad with two jobs the mom the house cleaner that that really instilled that in you well, and still, my mother really gave me my work ethic. She's probably the hardest worker I know. Mm. And the drive to not be in a financial tough spot. Grew, you know, growing up, like, if you'd want, like, you'd want Air Jordans. You can't get Air Jordans, you know? We don't have that kind of money. So I remember thinking, there was a guy I idolized. And this guy was like, he's a rock star. He's a good-looking guy. had a swagger about him. He actually brought me into my business. And his kid had everything. We went to school together. He bought his kids everything. Looking back, his kids grew up, they don't even talk now. And this guy ended up screwing up his marriage. He drank too much. She, you know, I was out doing the wrong thing. And the funny part is I looked up to him and I ended up emulating him. I, I pretty much did the same stuff, made all the same mistakes. Um, and then, so when I was younger, I wanted not just, I didn't want to be broke, you know, and I wanted to make sure I could breathe financially and this and that. And then when I got hooked on drugs, um, I wasn't working at all. I blew it all. And that's that. When I came back around this time, I realized like I had a talent. Like I realized that most guys in the financial industry aren't capable of doing what I do. And um, like we probably just put systems in place. I, once I learned how to put systems in place, the same spiritual laws of gravity, like like that or anything else you do, it works the same. So if you put a spiritual principle in place into a business world, you're going to have success. Mm -hmm. You know, if you really do the right thing, you make God your partner, or the energy of the world, whatever you want to call it, higher power. You partner up with that and you pay it forward. Like I do a ton of charity work. Like I always make sure if we're not giving six figures away a year, then we're not doing something right. Because I was there. You know what I mean? I was on the other side of this. I was the guy who somebody had to bring socks to. And as a result, that drive though is now, now that I know how to do it, I'm like, oh, I can do this and that. Same like you. Like, well, I get these expenses. I, I want to give this much to this charity and this much. So, and I never want to say no. So it's just boom, boom. It's like, it's like, it, it feeds itself. So I don't know how to slow down. Like, um, you know, I mean, I burned through marriage because I put it before work before it. But I, I was honest when we got married. Work comes first. Um, the only thing I'm pretty good about slowing down for is if you get the opportunity when I'm with my daughter mm -hmm. um, and my stepdaughter. I'll, um, I can put the pause button when I'm with them, but I, I don't put things on hold much. I mean, I'm a workaholic. I mean, I listen, tomorrow's the last day before Christmas. I'll be here. The, the day after Christmas, I'll be here. You know, it's just, it's what I do. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I tell you. It's what I do. That's my answer, and it's like taking a leave type of thing. And don't tell me if this lands with you. This is how I am. Like I'm, you know, I'm 45. <laughs> um, you know, my my addiction definitely. You know, I worked in radio for 20 years. 
that's that's not a huge income industry. Granted, I was I was near the top of it, and even then, like people, like if you looked at the salary, it's like Jesus, man, for all the work you do. I'm like, yes, I know, I get paid about five dollars an hour, uh, but like I found something that I love, and once I got sober, you know, and came out of it, it as like, oh my god, I put so much work. And I'm so blessed to do something that I love. Like, I, I know that I will meet my creator again someday. I just have to, I just have to do it. Yeah. Like, I don't know how else to be, you know, and it's hard. And I want to pick your brain about that being able to, to separate because it's still tough for me at moments, you know, the phone's going off or what, Oh, I got to post this social media clip or whatever the heck it is. And, um, but I don't know how else to be, especially when, you know, how many people get in life to go, wow, I love what I do. Yeah. I mean, I can say this, you nailed something that made me think back when I was first out of jail, I was in this pre-release place and, um, I used to be able to walk, it was about a two-mile walk because I, I had no money for the subway. And I had these old sandals. But I walked down to this park where my friend worked in a hot dog stand. He'd give me two hot dogs and a soda free. And that was my lunch. And I remember walking by my cousin one day. And he works in finance. And he, we were on this nice street in Boston, Newberry Street, which is like as nice as it gets. And he was probably three feet away. And he didn't even recognize me. My teeth were smashed out because I got stabbed in the mouth. I'm in a tracksuit. Like, I just looked like a slob. And, uh, you know, I mean, I still wear tracksuits, but they, I don't. Uh, now these ones fit. So, but I, I mean, and, I, and he didn't even recognize me. I'm walking by these people. And I thought, wow, one day I was actually part of society. I was a finance guy. I wore nice suits. I was, I, I just want that back. And so now I get it back. And now here I am, like, you know, I'm doing well in my industry and, and I'm back doing something I love. And I'm seeing people helping them retire. And, that's what led me to want to get on the coaching field with it was that financial advisor would call me like, how are you doing this? Like, you're doing 10 times what we're doing and, and you're not even polished. And it's because it's bashing. Cause I, it's the it, like everybody has an it. And if you're doing your it, you're going to find a way. If you're trying to be a service, like your job, you're, you're a service, you help people get better as a result. Of course you can have success, you know, cause your creator wants you to have success because then you have success. You can do more to help other people. If you're not having success then you're useless to him. Yeah. And and you said it right there. Like my my total belief is I struggled with with not the God part of recovery that people often, you know, I find so many people like, hey, hit a hit a 12 step meeting with me. Oh, I don't believe in God or or I'm not religious. It's, I've, I've heard it all like like, hey, I was baptized Catholic, went to Catholic school. Guess what? I wasn't either and definitely not religious, but I do believe in a higher power. And it took me a while to accept that there was a creator, God, higher power, whatever it is that not only loved me, but could work through me. And that's part of my daily routine is, is that belief in that. And again, to me, it's not only, I don't know how else not to work hard, but I don't, I don't know how to say anything like it's how I know I'm of service. And so I take that so damn seriously. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you an example. Next week, the kids are on school vacation. My soon to be ex-wife is saying, well, you should take some more time off the kids. You want to be with them. And I do, but I had a client call. They worried about buying a property. They want to see some numbers and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'll meet you this time. I'll meet you this time and I'll make it all work. But, I don't know how to say no. You know, there was a day where I was begging for that phone to ring. Right. Now it rings nonstop. And I'm like, this is awesome. 
Like, this is awesome. Like, I have enough business that I can just turn business away and go into the coaching. I don't make nearly as much. Rob laughs. I mean, I'm probably, I'd be lucky to make a third doing that if I get it off the ground and go well when I stop peaking with it, you know? The finance business is great, but I also believe that, like, there's so many other guys that are in my industry or want to be in my industry that struggle needlessly. Like, how many people do you meet that do what you do? They're struggling. Like, you know, if you would just take this suggestion, you know, you would do well. And 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 it's it's kind of nice to be part of that. It's kind of nice to give back. I mean, especially with recovery, what you guys do, I mean, that's unbelievable because yeah. that has more of an impact. I, I, I wouldn't compare them. It's apples to oranges. I mean, think about the yeah. impact of you, you know, maybe you, I don't know. This is just how my brain works. You help help someone. Maybe it was the lady that came that unfortunately lost her son, and now all of a sudden you help them be in so much of a better financial place, and they start volunteering or giving to a charity that uh, that, that brings people off the streets. You know what I'm saying? I th- yeah, I think- you never know where it's going to flow. It's true, and and, and and it all happens for a reason. It really does. Because I'm going to be honest, I didn't have time to get her in today. <laughs> like I said, I'm like I'm on a podcast at one thirty because if I said one forty five, I would have never got her on time. <laughs> I'm like, uh, but I can be in at 12.30 and like, and man, I'm so glad I did. Because she walked out of here, she was smiling. She goes, maybe I'll go buy my grandkids. I said, go see your grandkids. They'll light you up a little. She goes, maybe I'll go buy my grandkids and make some Christmas cookies. I'm like, there you go. I go, what are you going to do? Go home and want to throw darts at yourself? Hey, <laughs> is that a Boston thing? Throw darts at yourself? No, but I mean, as Buster Balls, she said something about, you know, <laughs> like I need a dot for it. I was like, you're going to throw darts at yourself? <laughs> I think it's just, uh, you know, we never know what role we're playing in people's lives. That's mm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that I struggled so much before really working my recovery because I I had a couple stints. I did I would do about uh a year and a half and then go back out. And then I do a little over a year again, go back out. I'm actually in my longest run of of continual sobriety. I got about seven years totally continuous and I'm coming up on my three year in uh February. What do you and, think the was this time? I I realized because I've been doing this, this is the fourth season that I was making this my recovery and I got arrogant and I think it was a greater awareness. Um, plus, I had a situation of really taking a look in the mirror at, boy, I'm just like, I, I needed people to love me. And it was keeping people in my life that were never going to. And so once I decided I'm going to change my accessibility and for some people it's going to become zero, that was a game changer. You know, I was, I'm was i a born people pleaser. It's my greatest Most character. Most of us are, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but greatest character defect. So once I did that and I, and I really dug in in a way that I never had before, and I literally made a list um, that like, and the top one was find multiple mentors that that had what I want. And and people that maybe not in recovery always go, well, that sounds really selfish or nefarious. No, no, no. I, d- I don't want to have their life or be them or take their stuff <laughs> or their wife or whatever, meaning their, their, their spirituality, their, their sense of self, like really pick their brain and and it was a couple of people that it was a little lofty, um, but oddly they're in my life now. They're they're like direct mint. They went from indirect to direct mentors. I mean, 
you know, Dr. Rob was one of those people, Dr. Rob Kelly, that that, that definitely was there to help me. And then, uh, you know, this gentleman, Adam Jablin and Mike Diamond and these other people. And once they saw how serious I was, they they gave of their time and it made all the difference. Have you dug into the archives of past Knocking Doors Down podcast episodes? The Knocking Doors Down podcast archive is available to you for free. Check it out. Here's a snippet from when Charlie Sheen was on the podcast. AA is not the best place for um, for, <laughs> for a famous atheist. Um, <laughs> just, I kept looking for that f***ing chapter. What, you know? So, yeah, um... But it's not a one-size-fits-all, sure, you yeah. know? It's like, it's like saying that we all think the same, like our brains are built the same. They're just not. Right. Yeah. There's, there's such uniqueness involved. Check out this episode and so many more in the Knocking Doors Down archive. So please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. If it's Apple Podcast, subscribe, leave a rating and a review. And on Spotify, please leave a five-star rating for Knocking Doors Down. And share with somebody else that you know will get value out of the Knocking Doors Down podcast. What about you? I mean, you you said you had a a, a slip up uh, at some point. I mean, how so, do you care well, to touch on it? I, yeah, it was so about God, help me out with these figures. I was gonna say four years, probably about seven years ago, six years ago. You know, four years ago, I went through a work thing where um, I've always had an issue with somebody, um, a regulator in my industry, like somebody who has kind of pull. It started as a personal thing in my twenties, and every two years they just bust my cookies, and uh, they give they give you a hard time. And I went out, oh, one of them, you know, one of them just put took me right out. Um, my daughter was just born. Um, I just felt like I couldn't provide. I was, and I just I was a disaster. And then at one point I realized like it's it's gonna stop. And Rob and I connected, and then that was a, that was a start. I, well, I'd already started, but that was like when my when I started like feeling healthy again. You know, having somebody mentor me like that. I've been very lucky. So I've had Rob as a mentor. He's helped me with the coaching, getting that off the ground. Some of the speaking. Um, another friend of mine, Marcus Ogden, um, he was he's a great does a lot of public speaking. He's a former pro football player, good kid. And uh, he's a great friend of mine. So he's he helps me. I mean, we talk all the time. And then there's there's other guys like this guy in my business who's been mentoring me for years. Uh he was actually on my podcast yesterday. I mean, these these guys are my age and they're worth it's just silly money. I said to, I said to him the other day, I want your money. I just don't want to do your work because he has to be <laughs> 250 people plus deal with people like me. Um, I have like a lot of good people in my life. You know, I really do. And I'm th- I think to myself, these people, you know, my mother said something once it rang a bell. I said, Mike, you ever know some of the clients who built me like 15, 20 years? We don't have any came on board like 12 years ago, 10 years ago, eight years ago. But we have some from 15, 20 years ago. Really. She goes, yeah, water seeks its own level. You were an <laughs> and it's true, like the, the people I attracted were just, I mean, somewhat nice, but it's just like the last 10, 12 years, whatever. It's even like when I went through a tough time, the people I was attracted to, good clients. Like they're people that genuinely I, I go get a bite to eat with. I'm friends. I've gone to breakups and been in there through breakups and been in their kitchen table in tears. You know what I mean? Like in my yeah. 30s, like I remember it's just different. And, and having good mentors has been like the key to everything. Yeah. And, 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 it's amazing how freely somebody will give it their time. Like my buddy coming on the podcast, he'll say, he's not worth like small money. This guy's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And just comes on, just casually sits in, just shoots the shit. And my buddy's at the, my producer's like, sat down. I was like, yeah. And he's like, he's like, he just doesn't give a shit. He's like, all of a sudden we're friends. I mean, we built a relationship. And you see that that they get fulfillment, kind of like when you sponsor somebody. You just get yep. fulfillment when they do well. 
And a good mentor, I mean, I've got, that's what really I coach other advisors I, and other guys in business. I, I don't make nearly, I make maybe 10% of what I make, put an hour and do what I do. But man, when I see some guy who was making a hundred grand, make like 240. And then the next year, his kid, like one guy, his kid had certain challenges, uh, dyslexic. Uh-huh. And his income went up enough the next year that he was able to put him in a school around here that's really good for dyslexia. And he was thrilled, you yeah. know, and he was psyched. And I was like, oh, my God, I played a small role in that. Mm-hmm. It's a small role. It's God working through us, but it's still a role. Yeah. And for me, you're right. Like with the mentors, it showed me the – it lit the pathway that it's not BS that you can help the world be a better place, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I think when we're younger, you kind of get jaded, especially when you're using like, oh, just this, so like, where the hell's God? And this place is this is all a big scam, and the rich get richer, and this. But then the day comes, you're like, you know what? There's some sort of like stream of life, and if I could just contribute to it in some small way, maybe even if I don't get better, even if I don't get what I want out of life, maybe I'll feel better. Yeah. And then next thing you know, when you do that for a while, you start getting a lot of the things you want because you're not obsessed with this. You're not blocking. I feel like you're if you're thinking about things, you're blocking them. If I'm thinking about me, I'm really f***ing things up. Excuse my language, but I am. <laughs> I, I, it, there's nothing good that comes out of me thinking about me. If I'm trying to help somebody out or be of service or just be kind, you know, um, it, somehow things go my way. And it, it's kind of a selfish thing. I kind of do it for that reason now. Like, hey, if I just do something for somebody else, it'll work out. <laughs> In a bad way, I literally get on my phone and stop calling random people that I know might be having a hard time and just listen to them. And then, like, next thing I know, I'm like, Jesus, my life, it's all right. You know, the, I, I had a good conversation with him and I talked to him. And, you know, it, I don't know. What What is this saying? Uh, sorrow shared cuts it in half. Joy shared doubles it. It's, it's true. It is. And it's weird. Like, it's all stuff that when we're younger, they're like, no way, piss off. Like, you know. So true. The stuff our mothers told us, I used to think it was bullshit. You'll be kind. <laughs> it's like, screw you. And like, you know, she used to say to me, you know, I can't buy you Michael Jordan's back. I gave you God. And I used to be like, I just want sneakers. Like, I don't. <laughs> and I'll tell you, when I got in jail, they weren't giving me Michael Jordan's. I was glad I had God, you know. Holy <laughs> right. place. Uh, that's funny you bring that up. This buddy of mine, Tony Hoffman, who's who's who, when I had my slip up, was one of the people that was there for me at two o'clock in the morning. Um, and uh, he found God in prison, and yeah. now through his all of his speaking, he's a sneakerhead, and it's he's got literally the, the rose of the Jordans, and it's just it's weird, you know. It's like oh, the stuff that I like or wanted, and then once I stop focusing on it, all of a sudden I have the means to do so, and it's it's just it's crazy. Like what? That's not how it's supposed to work. I know. You think you're supposed to focus on, be obsessed, work hard. No, you're supposed to just set a goal, go be a service, and the details follow. Yeah. I used I, to think, go oh, ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, it, it, me as a guy that I always loved sports and, and like looking back on certain people, like it, I was so thankful for the documentary, um, The Last Dance for the Bulls, because you really got Michael Jordan's mindset. And you're like, he wasn't really obsessed with winning and losing per se but he sure was obsessed with not with not having a chink in his armor yeah you know you say that it's funny um so i gave a couple of workshops last week right and mm-hmm. i had these 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 jordan things on the wall these quotes of jordan in my wall my, my gym in my basement at my house and i have it in my office and i i the workshop i usually book half the room i didn't book I couldn't close a door that night. And I was actually, I wasn't good that night, but I wasn't bad. I was, 
but not knowing books. I'm like, son of a bitch, you know, like 10 grand down the drain, blah, blah, blah. And I read this back quote and it said, you know, I missed 9,000 shots. I missed boom, boom. And I'm like, you know what? I failed tonight so I can be better later. And I'll work on it. And that night I rehearsed my seminar at midnight. And that's the thing. You have to be obsessive about your craft, you know, whatever it is. When people say, well, how do you do this? Well, give me workshops. Easy. I'm obsessive. Like when we go on events and we're on like for at work, we're at these conferences, people going out drinking and I've got the kid who's really good at coaching. I've got him in a conference room at midnight, not letting him sleep until he watches it and rehearses and critiques me. I, whatever it is I want to do, like I work out like a nut when I work out because I just, I want to do everything I do well, mm-hmm. you know, and some people can't understand that. And I think that's where I'm probably on the autism spectrum myself because most people, like I knew when I got married, I told my, my ex, I was like, listen, I can focus on work, like bringing in money. I'm nice. I'm a good time when I'm a good time, but I can't do like, you know, I, I might leave a mess around the house with clothes. Like I'm just not like organized. I mean, my staff goes nuts. I mean, I have to, I could probably run this place myself if I could stay out of my own way, but say I have five staff members and literally they're still stressed. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I remember the Jordan quote and it helped me because in the, in the last year, so I'm very lucky. I, have you ever heard of George Mumford? Yes. So George is a good friend of mine. Okay. So I kind of got an inside track on the Jordans and the Kobe's of the world. And, um, he talks about these golfers that he coaches. I just don't care. But uh, like he talks about Manchester United plays. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> if you could just stay on Jordan and Kobe, we're all right. And, um, but like the stuff he teaches me, he's like, you know, he just did not. And that's the thing. People don't realize Jordan's got those championship rings. You think he's getting a relief? He doesn't give a about those now. They don't care. Like, he, I mean, he's already on to like the golf and this. And, and then when he's fishing, like, you know, they said that some guy, I guess, was quoted saying he was fishing next to Jordan on a pier down in Miami or wherever he was, and Jordan wouldn't leave till he could, until he caught the fish. So he wait, everyone else up eating. He wasn't going. He's just obsessive, so he gets no more relief than us. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and that's kind of a nice thing to know is to to know that there's not supposed to be relief because when I think there's supposed to be relief, I look for relief. Mm-hmm. When I realize that the relief comes in the process, like you know, like I said to you before we went on. These guys in my business are like, you know, I'd love your house, or I'd like your cars and this and that. I'm like, all right, motherfucker, see me at 5 a.m. when I'm working out. And then we'll right. do kids. They'll do meditation. They'll do some journaling. And then we'll see our kids when they get up. But before they get up, we do all that. And they're looking at me like, yeah, I don't know if I want it that bad. Oh, yeah. No, and that, and that again, back to the mentors, uh, you know, uh, the people that, you know, we have a mutual person in Dr. Rob Kelly. And then, you know, um, Ask Dr. Rob, he's done a lot with Adam Jablin and then Adam Jablin and Mike Diamond are really close. And I know that like Mike gets up in the morning between 3.30 and 4.30 and he's got a good hour and a half to two hours to get his mind right. That's the work that he does before he starts the day because he'll even say he's a lunatic. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm kind of a lunatic. I got to do a better job of getting my mind right to be able to go through the day and not like, you know hopefully not shit all over the world. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I always say I have to break myself in the morning. I torture myself so hard in my workout and then my freezing cold shower and like torture myself. So that I try to do that enough to myself that the world can't go any further. You know what I mean? So no matter how bad the word, how excuse me, tough the world is that day, I've already just beat the hell out of myself. So it's not going to be any worse. Yeah. And when I do that, I get a pretty good day. But when I don't do that, like today, I get a call, so I'm like, I'm not working out. I'm like, first thing in the morning, I'll work out later. I'm not going to freeze a cold shower. I don't feel good. So I just put my head in the cold shower, just get some relief. But I thought to myself after, I'm like, you know, maybe if I'd done that, Mike, because I, I came here and it was an easy day and I knew I had, didn't have much. But if I don't, but if I had done that, it's a whole different day. Yeah. A whole different day. 
Yeah. No, <laughs> I was glad that, that I was talking to you and that I woke up really late today uh, because it's like, okay, I'm, I'm talking with another person in recovery. It always puts me in a good mood, you know? Like, it's easy. Yeah, yeah. Especially on a friend referral too. And it's, yeah. you know, it's the ones where I, I, I meet them and it's like, oh, they're having a shit day too. This ain't going to go too well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it's good if we get the same vibe because frankly, you understand like, there's a lot of ups and downs. And I think it's a different language you speak because you're co combining work and business with spirituality. Mm. And, you know, and I'll tell you, if I had to go be a heroin addict, be on the streets, go to jail to have what I have now, it was worth it. Yeah. You know, it, it was worth it. I think the hardest thing was getting sober a second time without losing everything because right. that that was really hard because the elevator keeps going down. So you you got to choose when to get off or, or the world chooses it for you when you lose everything. And I remember thinking, you know, I get this little child with autism and I can't let her have a bad life. Yeah. You know, I can't lose everything she deserves. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's God. It got me going. I, I came to that. That was part of, of, my getting back on track too was that realization that, oh man, my kids have seen me drunk. They, they, they have had me, you know, I can think it was once, maybe twice, you know, being so sick the next morning that, that, Hey guys, you're just going to stay home from school today. And it's like, how much did I, how much did I let them down? And I can't let that keep going because I went through that and I know what that pain is and I know how that sits and I know how that lands and I need to become the person that I want to be that not only doesn't let that happen again anymore, but is enough of a, a man now to, to let them know, Hey, I'm available to talk about that. Like if you need to process that, understand, get some relevance, you know, help help them get closure on these things, you know, cause I didn't, I didn't get it till God last three, four years, you know, not until in my forties. And it's yeah. like, I've told him, I don't want it to have to wait that long. It was a hindrance on my success. It always sat yeah. there in the background and I don't want that for them. We would never taught that we can go to them and talk about things. You know, like I had somebody, you know, I had somebody in my life when I was growing up, up until about second grade, there was abusive. I never thought, you know, you just don't cry. I never was told you can go talk about it. You know, how does that feel? Even when it came out after, it was like, um, nobody said, how do you feel about that? Are you okay? It was just kind of like, you're all right, right? And I'm like, yes, sir. You know, yeah. I think back, you said something about your kids. Um, a real game changer was I was tucking my daughter in one night and I was kneeling down. I used to kneel down next to her crib and pray. She said, Daddy, why are you falling asleep? And I was like, because I wasn't falling asleep, I was not. And uh, that's when it hit me. I'm like, you know what? This kid deserves better. And then when I look at my daughter, it's when I grew up, when we grew up, there was a kid that lived next to my aunt and uncle. And their, their mother always had a bunch of kids so she could stay on the welfare system. She was kind of a mess. She was an alcoholic, you know. And the youngest kid's name was Shannon, this girl. She was this little girl. She never got, the mother was always sleeping. The kids were taking care of her. The kids weren't allowed to go to school because they had to stay home and babysit. It was a top, it was kind of like, you know, kind of like the lifestyle that we know in, in the program, you know. Yeah. And I and my daughter kind of looks like that girl, has like a glimpses, and I keep thinking, and, and I'm like, I don't want to give her that life that little girl had. It's like God gives you enough to compete. To, it's like these shots between that and her asking about me sleeping. I was like, this, excuse my language, but I was like, I'm just not doing this to this kid. And, yeah. uh, and that was it, you know. Yeah. And it, it, And it's amazing once you get to that point. 
then it gets easier. You should, it, I, people talk about that again. So it's so again. So it's not nearly as hard. You can go. Well, I, I don't know. I can twitch. I can. I can go through anything. I'd withdraw between times. Use it. I mean, I can suffer through anything. It's making the decision. Because then you've got to be ready. You, you decided something. Now you got to do it. If you go back and forth, you say tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. You, you know the drill. And I like, but when you decide, it's like, yeah. Right. And and I and I know. To close out your question there, that. Uh, that's exactly what it was. It was, I'm, this is it. Like I, I've, I've, I've been bullshitting cause Hey, us addicts, we're master bullshitters, yeah. especially to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was, yeah. I was thinking of the, how many mornings waking up, Oh, I'm never doing that again. Right. Sure. Okay. And, and, and then later that day, you're stopping at the convenience store before you get home. It's like, come on, man. And and it was. It was a very conscious decision that that then I was going to connect to the right people and kick it into overdrive. And it's made all the difference. All the difference. What's nice is once you've done it before, you know you know there's a system. You know you just got to plug into it. The downside is you sometimes wonder, well, maybe it did work for me. But then you think it works for everybody. It's like gravity. Like yeah. I used to sponsor guys. I would drop the big book and be like, listen, it works the same for you and me. It's gravity. Just It's spiritual principles. Just get with it. And um, it would always work, you know, for the guys that would buy in. So I just, this time I was just like, I'm just going to buy in. In fact, sometimes Rob and I would be on a Zoom and he'd break out the big book and he'd go through something. And do you know this? Did you? I'm like, stuff I didn't see. And I've been around it for 12, 15 years. Right. You know, oh, just, yeah. He's eloquent with the big, that dude's brain. He, he's, it's it's so fascinating too, to see people like like him and, and like yourself and how we take and, and use the different tools in certain ways, you know, like Dr. Rob is like that guy. Uh, uh, I heard someone say, I think it was him that re replied. It was, uh, yeah, uh, progress, not perfection. He's like, ah, spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. It's like, yeah, that's what it says. Yeah. Don't, don't mistake the two. <laughs> it's true. And it, yeah, that's the, he'll quote things. He's like, D do you know what the first step says of this step? And, and I'll say to him, no, you missed one thing or you missed this. He's like, you don't understand these guys were wordsmiths and he was just, Sometimes he blows me away, and I'm like, "Yeah," and and we don't go stay on it that much. But when he pulls it out, it's huge. Yeah. Well, the details are important. I mean, in your business, if you sign on the wrong thing or put the comma in the wrong place, it, it can cause an issue. Like the details are important. You're, you're the, the the you know, I was talking with a with a kid that um, at Celebrate Recovery. He uh, when I was registering my son for college, I'm so proud, like 15 years old and he's already getting his college courses. Yeah. He's, he's, he's so, yeah, he's so switched on. It's pretty rad. But this young man that I go to, uh, um, celebrate recovery with, and I'm like, Hey, did I see you with your mom there the other day? Yeah. Well, that's, that's rad, dude. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to take the course to be an electrician. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, that's what I would have done if I didn't go into radio. Like, this is such an amazing opportunity. Like, you know, like really pay attention to this and this is what's going on. He's like, Oh man, wow. I didn't think of all this stuff. And it's like, Hey, it's in the detail. Like realize what your abilities are and how they're going to play into this. Like pay attention, cool. you know? Pay attention. Cool. Yeah. I didn't know you guys to celebrate recovery out there. We do. Oh yes. Yeah. It started out there, right? It started out there. Uh, you know, I don't know the history of celebrate recovery. I just, uh, my tattoo artist, <laughs> I'm like, Hey, uh, we should hit a meeting together. And he's like, yeah, I do celebrate recovery. And, 
And my dad did it. And I'm like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And ironically, it's at the church that, that, that me and my lady go to. And it was like, wow, one of my pastors is here. And I didn't know that he was in recovery. And, pretty you know, cool. yeah, it was just, it's just like, oh, these are my people. This is pretty damn cool. Yeah, it's like my tribe, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that's the thing, too. Let me ask you about this because uh, um, I was coaching someone that uh, in another state and they're like, yeah, 12 steps isn't for me. And I'm like, okay, tell me why. Well, in this meeting, in this meeting, and I'm like, okay, notice the word you kept, the words you kept running together throughout our conversation, this meeting, go to a different one. And he was like, huh? I'm like, you can go to other meetings. You're not locked in there. And then he went and tried another one. He's like, yeah, there was this old timer that really kind of helped break it down. And he was like, yeah, I was an atheist. And it's like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, you're not, you're not locked in. It's like one meeting isn't like all of them. I've been to ones out of town. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'll go back to that one. But then I've been to other ones and I'm like, oh my God, I wish I could go to that meeting again. You know? True. It's true. Like, there are some meetings you go and hit, because when I'm on the road for work, I'll go hit some meetings just to switch it up and do something different. I usually hit more when I'm out of town than I do in town, believe it or oh, not. It's just, oh. Do you find that just help, helpful that when you're out of town or you just want to connect with that sober community? I don't know. I think I just want to feel that energy. Usually when I'm out of town on business, I'll be at a conference and there's a bunch of people getting banged up. Or, um, you know, I just don't want to fall back to my old behaviors because for me, it doesn't necessarily have to be drugs or alcohol. It could be chasing girls. It could be, you know what I mean? Like you can, you can do the wrong thing so many ways. Yeah. And, and that impacts, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. You know, that's what I, I'm a big believer in that. Like, I believe if you're going to have professional success, first thing I tell guys is write down your goals. And then I'm going to tell you 10 things that'll take you off your goals if you do these things, you know? And yeah. more often than not, it's either they start making more money, they cheat, they start a drug habit, they start gambling. I mean, I can tell them in advance, you know, they go to strip club. It's, it's like you could see it coming. It's like clockwork. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thing that you want so, so bad, why are you going to give it away for pleasure over joy? So true. That's well played. I like that. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's all it is like at the end of the day, I mean, we're, 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 we're pleasure seeking, right? There was never, tell me you had any joyful moment in using. No, that's <laughs> a really missile pleasure seeking, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And it's funny you brought up that quote. Cause I posted that yesterday. <laughs> the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And, and I posted it and a buddy texted me and he goes, Oh man, thanks for that. I needed that reminder. And I was like, Hey, guess what? Me too. I posted it. Cause I just, just now wanted to cut corners at work so I could get out the door and, and head home. Cause I work for a nonprofit about an hour away. Yeah. And I went, Nope, not okay. Yeah. And it's, it's hard sometimes. I mean, I go through that. There are times where I want to like leave paperwork behind. We'll deal with it next week or get a client's thing process. We'll get back to them or, you know, but then at eight o'clock at night, I'm on the phone. Like, yep. Yeah. Call the client, let them know where they stand. Because if I don't do it, the next day I'm going to feel guilt and shame. Yeah. Or I'm going to have a lot of stress going into it. You know, I, Rob got me in the habit of writing down things I'm going to do and then doing them that day. That's a very, very hard thing for me. And I've gotten a lot better at it, but because I'm pretty <laughs> undisciplined with that stuff. <laughs> me too, man. Yeah. I, I think that I can just keep it up in my noggin. Uh, yeah, I just seem like my... I can run a gun. Don't worry about it. It's, it I, yeah. No. No, it doesn't work. I used to run and gun. How well did that work out for me? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I fell on my face every time. And and it, but tell me if this this is how it lands with you too. Is that had I have just 
cut the corner at work and left, guess what? Nobody else would have known. You and how, yeah. And how reminiscent of that is, is, is that of my addiction? I don't know how many times I drank and nobody knew. I had people that I worked with for 15 years that said, I didn't know you had a drinking problem. Really? Yeah. That's a good, that's a good sign though. If you think about what you just said, because you would know. And then if we get away with it once, we'll do it again. I don't know. I can say you, I would do it again. If I can get cut a corner once and it goes well, I'm cutting that corner every time. But if I see the results of cutting it once, I'll pull back. Yep. Yep. It's, um, I think it's just one of those must things, not only not just as people in recovery, but in life in general, you know, I wish there was 12 step programs and in, in, in high schools, like, Hey, here's a good playbook. Like, uh, you know, I have people, when I've done coaching, people ask me all the time, you know, uh, well, what's the most successful path? I said, believing in something greater than yourself and connecting with the like-minded community, the data shows you do that. You're going to be better off. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you're never going to go wrong that way. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, it's not still a single person in a bad direction at all. So, uh, but it's really, it is like a playbook for life. Yeah, yeah, it's a blueprint. It, it, it and it's a uh, it's a blueprint with flexible building. Yeah, I like that, and it is because it, it's customized to different people because not everybody has the same issues, mm-hmm. but everybody can go to the same source to get power. Everybody can get the same relief. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, really, if you break it down at the end of the day, if we start with the first step, we're obviously admitting we're powerless against something. And and not that we are, I, I think some people have an issue with that first step. And I go, look, it's not that you are powerless. You are powerless against something you include in your life that is bringing just like, how is there anything positive around that? Like if you're out there, you know, sitting on a corner for two hours, you know, fiending because you're waiting for somebody to drop a bag off with the cash in your pocket that you stole from your mom. Like, that's that's <laughs> disempowering decisions, pal. That's what it means. That's, it's funny because, you you know, people I've heard people say, well, I don't believe in powerless. I've always thought myself as strong. I'm like, you know, one guy said, I don't want to be a you know, drug slave. And I'm like, slave? You're a complete slave. You get up in the morning, you think of how you can get drugs. You then go get high, and then you think of how you can get more drugs. Then you go get high, you lose your job, you don't pick up your kids on time. You sacrifice everything in your life for this one thing, and then you give it your money. And then when you talk about the guy who's late to drop off the drugs, you punch him in the face, he gets it, you say thank you, how can we give him the money? I'm like, uh huh, <laughs> hostage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just. Just let's 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 take some of the pride out of that and, uh, and dive in. And and uh, and and it's tough. I mean, we're in a we're in a sick society. It's a crazy world that we're dealing with right now. Unlike anything you and I dealt. Like I think yeah, about true. my kids. Like God, what what you know, as someone that struggles and still tries to do work to build a, a stronger self worth and self esteem. Like God, if I had had social media as a teenager oh. and you know, that one girl I thought was cute blocked me or said something bad about me. You know, it's like, oh, my God, let alone, you know. I know. I think about it all the time. Yeah. We're in a banana world, man. And kids are cruel. Yeah. Oh, we are. We can be little shits. And nowadays they get away with it. Like uh, like the parents never say the kids are wrong. Oh, Right. I was volunteering in my old high school. I was teaching kids business class. And I said, I can teach you how to grow any business you want based on spirituality. I said, if you want to do it, I'll do it. So it was, it was a Catholic high school, my old high school. And um, 
kids are just one kid. I said to them, all you have to do not to fail this class, keep your iPads closed or off. I'm going to show you something on the board. The room was dark. This kid's face is glowing. I said, buddy, your face is lit up. Yeah, you know, obviously you get the thing, shut it off. No, it's not on. It says, obviously on. No, it's not on. I walk over, it's on. I take it, I throw it on the floor. It's smashed, so it broke. I thought I can afford a new iPad. I'll buy his father an iPad when he comes in, but I want to talk to his parents. That's I said, you failed. So he get, his parents get the report guide. He, his father wasn't in his life. His uncle comes in, he says, what happened? I said, I told him three times. He made a joke of it in front of the kids. So I tossed his iPad on the floor. I'll buy him a new iPad. And I said, but um, he fails the class. And he's like, well, no, wait a second. He's like, because of you, my nephew's not going to get into a good school. I said, no, it's because your nephew's weakened and effective. It probably starts at home. Mm-hmm. And like his jaw hit the floor. Now, I haven't gone back to that school to teach since because I'm, <laughs> I'm not driving an hour there to volunteer to drive. Because the principal the next week's like, you got to change that grade, right? You can't just fail the kid. I'm like, oh, I did. It's yeah. not hard. There's the only thing you had to do is not be a punk. Yeah. But they get away with more. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, let's say that guy, he he's uh, – Want that internship with you or whatever it is, and uh, you're here in an important meeting. Like, hey, Johnny, I'm going to include you in this meeting. I'm seeing some potential, but this is this is one of our our key clients. Uh, you know, you you can really learn a lot here. And he's sitting on his freaking iPad. What are you doing? He's out. Yeah, fighting on the spot. Yeah, he's out. Like in the meeting, it's not even a. It's it's a it's a. Hey, Johnny, uh, let me talk to you real quick outside. Like, hey, you're done. Go ahead and pack your things and go home. And you yeah. walk back in the meeting. That's exactly how it would be. That's as much as, yeah, that's, well, that's the thing. That's life. And, and these, I think people don't realize like how rude it is to be on the phone and they're talking. And I mean, I see couples out to dinner and, you know, I think of myself, if I went out to a date, some girl was sitting on her phone the whole time. I just get up and leave. I throw a couple hundred bucks on the table and be out the door. Yeah. 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 <laughs> my, my, my. My lady and I, we were in Monterey, California, got away, and, and I grew up in that area, so I took her to my favorite breakfast brunch spot, and we're sitting there, and I've got this thing, I, I got I got to face the door, and, yeah. uh, and here comes in this 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 couple, very nice looking lady, you know, well put together, and here she is, they sit them on the other side of us, and, uh, and the dude just, uh, she's trying to talk to him, and he's just sitting there watching the football game on his phone, just nodding the whole time, uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, that's not a relationship, you know. Yeah, yeah. And she ended up getting getting up when the check came, left, and and went outside. And it's just like, damn, man, this this you know is a good lesson for me. Even if it wasn't the scenario, the the appearance to me was like, boy, take this in. Like we're where we're sitting, we can see out to the ocean. We're having this phenomenal oh, wow. breakfast and all this stuff. Like, I'm gonna take it in. Like we don't get away a lot. Like, yeah, like, no, I get that. Yeah, the last thing I'm gonna do is pull out my phone right now. Exactly. I mean, if unless it's your kids calling some emergency, but otherwise, you want to be present. I want to be present. Yeah. I spend so much of my life not present. I like being present. People are like you don't mind that. I'm like, ah, are you kidding me? I'm great. I'm great at this I was just checked <laughs> up for far too long. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh. Uh well Ryan we're gonna jump to uh some uh, random questions here in a minute and I give you the uh, what I call the Jerry Springer uh, moment where you get to leave us with the final thoughts but uh, uh, tell us a little bit about cracking the code uh, I didn't know that you had a podcast as well and and kind of throw some stuff out there maybe some cool stuff I love listening to financial podcasts and just getting that advice from people so I won't lie to you very little financial advice I wanted nothing to do with finance on this. Cool. Most of what it is is I'll either interview drug acts that have fallen and come back, um, police 
that work in the addiction area. One, uh, one, one guy was the chief of police and he actually, we, we met, he used to arrest me when I had an addiction problem. Now he's a client of mine, which is kind of funny. Um, my old probation officer, who's a good friend of mine, the chief of probation from this town, who's a great guy. Um, you know, like I said, a bunch of a bunch of athletes, um, you know, George has been on a couple of my buddies, um, guys like him. And simply put, I just like hear about comeback stories. Like yesterday, a guy I interviewed, he really have a comeback story, but the story of how he built that business to where it's at when his friend died and he took over it. And it just, it was a cool story. And, uh, you know, it's a guy who was worth nothing and now he's worth, you know, a couple hundred million and he's humble and he's nice and he's a quality guy. And that's rare to find in my business. Like guys in that spot, usually they're pretty arrogant, but this guy, I can text him, Hey, I'm having a bad day. He drops everything, calls me, you know, it's a unique kind of guy. And yeah, people say, well, you were his, you're his top guy. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. I'm the probably the number one guy put in business room. But there are other groups of 10, 20 advisors that he doesn't need my business. You know, he values it, but he doesn't need it. I always say to clients, I don't need it, I value it. So cracking the code can because I was working with this upline called an IMO, and I would I would have advisors come up to me and say, Hey, listen, is it true you are a homeless heroin addict? Yeah, yeah. And you were in jail? Yeah, yeah. Why? How are you doing this much production? Like an average advisor does two to three million a year of new premium. We do 25, 30 million. So obviously we're doing about in a month what they do in a year. Nobody wants to hear it though. Nobody wants to hear about spiritual principles, giving to charities. Nobody wants to hear about getting up early, prayer, meditation, working out. Nobody, they want me to give them a silver bullet. Well, I say this, I don't say anything that unique. I don't speak well. I don't pronounce ours. I don't wear a shirt and tie. <laughs> Um, I'm not that guy, you know, and, and so I don't hide the fact that I was a drug addict. I don't fight the fact that I've been to prison. Like somebody doesn't want to be here. There's a door, you know, and I, I treat people really well, but I, I, I try to be authentic in who I am. Um, then I realized that we, we had, maybe we did have a silver bullet. Like maybe all those things I named, all the spiritual things, the discipline, maybe that is a silver bullet. And I said, well, let me show a few guys. So I started coaching a few guys just free and see if I could help them. And I've seen these guys, these guys are making like, 100 grand go up to two. Uh, one guy used to be 130s at 180. Like, but ball minus, it was a serious jump, you know. And I was like, Jesus, like, there is something here. And I started helping guys I knew in other industries. And I said, Let's try this, try that. And all this stuff that we learned in the halls was bulletproof. We talked about the blueprint. Literally, I just helped them apply it to business and it just it went through the roof. So I said, I think I want to do this. I've always liked coaching. I go to the jail and volunteer at the prison around here. Um, I, I like being a part of somebody else's comeback. I, I mean, honestly, I've already got, there's nothing, if I made an extra million dollars next year, it's not going to do anything more for me emotionally or I don't have a mortgage. So I don't, you know, I don't, you know, I got everything I want for cars and shit. Like my kids, uh, education's okay. So it's now about, it's got to be bigger than me. Cause like I said before, I'm thinking about me. It's miserable. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, and I, and I find that and I'm sure you know it too, is some very well-off people that are absolutely miserable. Yeah, I was one. I mean, I can yeah. tell you about the day I pull up in my car. I'm in my dream car looking at my beautiful house, my dream house I built. And I got my kids inside. I'm married at the time. My dog and uh, I got a pool. And I'm going to go hang out the he, he, I see the pool. And I'm outside thinking, is this all there is? Is this really, do I have to go in? And that's what I knew. That was um, a couple of years ago. And that's when I knew I had to change my, my situation at home. That's when I knew I had to change me a lot because clearly I attracted that. And clearly... I was a big part of that, having that kind of energy. It was obviously, I had a role. You know, we learned we have a role in everything. And so I I definitely realized that the money, money doesn't buy happiness. Makes it easier, but it doesn't buy happiness. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was that Cher that said, uh, 
uh, I've been broke and famous and I've been rich and famous. I'll, I'll take the rich and famous yeah. as, lo- as long as I'm happy, you know? And it's like, yeah, you know, being us, being it, be, being in a place like my finances are, are not where I want them to be. And it's been a rebuild. It's been, been a lot like, you know, divorce dilapidated me and, and things like that. But I'm in a space now where I have that ability to do so. And, and I'm finding joy in the process, even with the stresses and things like that, it's, it's okay. It's, it's just, you know, like I, I had to buy a new car new to me, you know, used one because my other one was, it was repairs were way more than the value of the car. So it just didn't make any sense. And, and I was struggling with that. And, and my, and my girlfriend goes like, it's okay to embrace that you've worked hard to step into something better. And I'm like, oh shit. Like it is. Like it's like a ten times better automobile feels not that my other wasn't safe, but this is much more safety features for the kids and and everything and dependability and all this. And it's like, wow, I, I've got to examine this. I still struggle to embrace that I am worth improving my situation. Yeah, what we do, and I think that's why I I for a while I was giving away more money than I should have. I was doing a lot of things I shouldn't because I felt guilty that I was having success. And uh, I felt like, you know, I don't know what I felt like. I, like it didn't belong to me. And now I'm kind of in a good spot where I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. Like, you know, obviously I'm going to have to, my divorce finalizes, I have to kind of serious check as well. <laughs> I have a prenup, but I still have to, you know, I can't just send somebody out back in, you know? Right. So um, I know it's going to be a chunk, but that's, that's all right. You know, I look at it like, that's part of life. If things don't work, you got to do what's right, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, with the stress of like saving again and stuff, now I'm at a point where I don't, I don't put myself out there financially as much. Like I don't want to do things that cost as much. So I don't need to pick up tabs for people because I don't need anyone with me at some way fancy. I can go some local dive. Like I'm back to the old me. I don't really care about the bull. For so long, I lived a life to try to impress other people. Yeah. Uh, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> All too familiar, man. I worked in rock radio. I had to be the step just below the rock star. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And I, and I'm tone deaf and I mean, I'm, you know, I can bang out some chords, but I'm certainly not getting up on stage with, uh, with Iron Maiden or whoever, I don't know, first band that came to my head, but, um, all right, let's, uh, if people want to find out more about you, connect with you, what's the easiest way? I'm cracking the code with ryanskinner.com. Or you can even call myself 617-733-2396. I put that out there because a lot of the coaching clients call me direct. Okay. Well, hey, I'm using it. Appreciate it, brother. I'm connecting with you. This is this is the start of a new friendship here. You get out to Boston. You got to get your son out to Boston. I know. Hey, that's his aspiration. That's where he wants to be. All right, young man, you got it. All <laughs> right. Um Boy, that's a silly. This was funny because I was going to start with a if you had to work but uh, didn't need the money, what would you do? It sounds like you're already doing it. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, if we lived in a communism and every job paid the same, I wish in my industry there were I had a little less outside stress. I didn't like my per- personal disagreements with people couldn't impact my career as much. But going to work, I, I love what I do. You know, I do, I do, and um, and in addition to that, I want to do the coaching. I love coaching people. I love being a part of somebody else's success. Their family's having a better life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah I think getting out of myself. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how when we're younger, we, our aspiration is to be Michael Jordan, and then we're presented with the opportunity to be Phil Jackson? Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. You, you never know where your role is going to be, but once you find your niche, 
it's pretty sweet. You know, I like I use my buddy George, for example. He was a drug addict out on the streets. He gets into meditation. Next thing you know, he gets sent out to Phil Jackson and boom, he's he's like the, the whisperer of the You just don't know how it's gonna flow. And I think it, the trick is to just do your best where you are because you never know where that's gonna be noticed. Yeah. Yeah. It's the mystery of life. Like embrace the uncertainty and the unknown. It's 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 a good thing. I don't like uncertainty and unknown though. <laughs> it's hard. I struggle with that for sure. Uh, especially when it's a financial, uh, like uh, unknown, like, oh my God, I, you know, when's this, how's this going to land? What's this going to pan out? But, uh, yeah, it, it's tough. I think it's part of being able to be in the moment though, uh, is accepting that, like not knowing how it's going to go. Yeah. And if you're present, you don't usually think about it. When, when I'm thinking about that, I'm usually in the future, the past, you know, but uh-huh. when I'm right where I'm supposed to be, I, I'm usually not too concerned about it because I have what I need. Yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna need in the future, but hopefully God will give it to me when I need it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. All right, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Shit. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to know the future. Actually, when I say it, I really don't want to know it. I wouldn't mind flying. I think I'd like to fly. <laughs> <laughs> As someone that travels, people always say, that, "Yeah, yeah." Because uh, you know, I always think to myself, I don't want to know the future. I don't want to know what people think of me. I don't want to know the stuff. I think, you know, I, I usually I'd want to know like the, the next day's lottery winnings. I have a lot of clients that are lottery winners. I don't ever want to win the lottery. I see what it does. Um, I'll take cancer again for winning the lottery. Um, literally. Yeah, yeah. God, yeah. yeah it's, it's the worst you could do to somebody. From what I've seen, I've only handed a handful of them, but I've seen enough to know I don't want it. I think, you know, I don't know. I, I think the one superpower I'd like to do, I'd like to be able to multiply time. How's that? That would be pretty cool. Because I thought, like, if I could be here at work doing my thing and also home with my daughter, that would be pretty badass. Because that the, the two things that really matter most. If, if I give my stepdaughter, my eleven year old, to think I'm cool again and they want to hang out, be cool too. <laughs> that that's the first time anyone said that, and that I think is uh, that's awesome. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And the idea of being able to read people's mind when people say that, don't want it. No way. Mm-mm. Frightening much yeah i already know how it is to be in my own mind let alone somebody else's no thank you i'm good i'll pass <laughs> uh what's the last uh song that you listened to on purpose that you intentionally played well, i listen to a lot of randoms i have a pretty eclectic taste of music um it, it was either angels on the moon by thriving ivory or eminem um which one was it cinderella man uh that's that's my favorite Eminem song. Yeah, he's he's got some good stuff. His older stuff's good. Anything in the last five years is kind of weak, but I mean, it's, it's hard to be an angry guy when you get that kind of life. You know, he's probably yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, I, I'm I've done the work to be sober well, well, over a decade now, and seems to have a good relationship with his daughter now, and all <laughs> these things. It's like, yeah, I don't know what else can I be mad about. Like somebody <laughs> say something bad about me, please. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, those are definitely the last two. I don't know what, in which order. Uh, it, what is something that people will be surprised to learn about you? Maybe that you don't share a hobby, an interest, um, anything. I'm a super geek. Um, I think people would be surprised to know. Like, I love to meditate. Uh, I like to like build little tents with my kids, you know, my four-year-old, because she's just, you know, anything kid-related. Like, I love – I always say, thank God I didn't know how much I loved being a dad because I would have had thousands of kids. Like, at 44, I'm not going to – you know, probably not going to do that again. But 
I mean, I love it. I mean, so I think the fact that I'm just like a big kid, I could play, I movie. I, I tell my older daughter that we'll pop beer and somebody in our family was a bear and like, and she, she gets so mad. So I, I just, um, I'm just a goof. I think I'm like a little kid. I always say I'm a combination of a little kid with a lot of responsibility and a big little kid with a big paycheck sometimes. <laughs> I just sometimes feel like I'm, I'm in this world. I'm not equipped for this world. I feel far too mature for this part of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I miss those times being a, a girl dad of the, the tea parties and having the tiara on and all that stuff. She's getting the dog trained to have a tea party. They should be this little friend. <laughs> so, so That's the good stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you could travel anywhere in time, but you had to stay there, where would it be and why? Maybe when this country was first founded. Mm. Um, that would definitely be interesting to me. Maybe right after the Civil War. I don't know. One of those two times. Mm. I think those are two really good times. You know what I mean? Like the, They were positive times. This country was first founded. They were, they were like real beliefs that they believed in. Um, and then more importantly, after like slavery, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty impressive time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know some people see that, Hey, we're still in a shit show, but, it, but I think if you talk to individuals, as opposed to paying attention to the news, uh, which don't get me started on the business agendas through those things. Um, I think the world in a lot of ways in our country has improved. Like some ways, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, some improvements had to come around. I think it was very necessary. Yeah. But I think those are two times in history that would interest me a lot, you know, because there were such drastic improvements, you know. Yeah. People, we just got free from England the second time. You just ended slavery, which was probably the time I'd probably want to see after most. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't mind. I mean, I would be intrigued to see like right after World War II. But on the flip side, I, I think it's just so sad that that went on so long that it, it would be upsetting to me to think that it went on as long as it did. Um, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, I have a weird connection to World War II, but we won't get into that. All right, last random question here. Uh, being a Boston guy, what what's your favorite things about where you live? Oh, I love the food. Yeah. The fact that I can just get in the car and I drive half hour, 20 minutes, I'm in the heart of Boston and I can go to all these great restaurants. I can say go smoke a cigar outside after I eat and then get a cannoli or some kind of ice cream after. Or I can shoot up to the ocean and just be hanging out. I just love that. Everything's just, I don't know. I love, I love, I love Boston in the summer. How's that? I hate, I, I don't mind in the fall. I don't mind the spring. Spring's nice, but I hate the winters here. <laughs> so my favorite thing is probably the accessibility to go to food, get food. And um, I'm really grateful for the educational stuff for my daughter with her autism. Um, there's great resources here. And if they didn't have that, she would be really far behind. So super great. That's probably my number one thing. Yeah. No, I, you're right. I do need to come visit you one of these days. No, too many people out there not to, not to get out oh, that way. And I love, and I love history too. So, you it's know, awesome. I'm one of those people. Yeah. It sucked. I went to Philadelphia. Uh, I actually flew out there and interviewed Bam Margera and, uh, did you really? Yeah. And That's I did cool. and I didn't, you know, it's COVID time. So, you know, Museum of History was closed. I at least got to stand in front of the Rocky statue, you know, like as a guy that Sylvester Stallone was like a childhood hero and still to an extent. And, uh, but everything was closed. I didn't get to see nothing. Kobe was tough. I mean, listen, Kobe was hot emotionally, mentally. I mean, it was a tough time. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. And we lost, anyways, we lost so many people that with addiction that fell off. Hey, I did, yeah. you know, so. 
All right. Well, this is uh, your Jerry Springer moment, Ryan. Uh, anything that you would want to lend to the the listener just through your experience, um, you know, drop some knowledge. You know, I think so many people look at that passing, it defines it. But, it, but for, me, for me, I think it strengthens me. You know, I think it strengthens guys like you. Uh, you know, the bottom is more of a string, springboard to the top. If you're at the bottom, there's only one place you're either going to bounce off it or you're going to fall down. And I think more often people roll over when they really could just kind of roll up and stand up. And um, I think the greatest gift I've gotten is realizing that like failures don't define you. You know, they really don't. And it's probably the greatest gift I've been given is the failures and, and, and some of the stresses in my life. Stuff that four years ago I would have told you I was getting screwed in the world and breaking me and it wasn't right. I realize now it was just gifts. Yeah. Ryan Skinner, thank you, man. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks for having me on. Remember, no outside solutions to inside problems. Keep knocking doors down.